Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from a little apartment in Brooklyn. It's Caught Offside. What's up, brother? Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm feeling good, which is important in these times. Uh, I hope you are the same. I hope everybody out there listening uh, is the same. How are you, man? Uh, you know, I'm terrified. I'm the same as everybody else. Uh, I'm beginning to get cabin fever pretty much in, in isolation here now for the last few days. Uh, I, I had these grandiose ideas of me and you being in, in studio together. Yeah. But um, look, if we're going to do this properly, we have to do it as, as a collective. And um, that's just not responsible right now. So here I am in an apartment in Brooklyn with a resentful cat. Oh, um, resentful of you? Yeah, my cat is a year-old calico, and anyone who knows anything about the calico breed, uh, they love to play. And so she looks at me with uh, with bitterness when I don't when I'm not playing with her. Oh, I thought so, it was going to go the other way. I thought cats generally prefer solitude, and and your cat is resentful that you are encroaching on her alone time. No, this one wants to play. That's it, and, oh. and that is an endearing and lovely quality. But like, there's only so much cat play I can do in a day, as you as you know. Yeah, I picture you pawing at some kind of fake mouse in the middle of a room. <laughs> hey, man, these are strange times. I will paw at fake mice yeah. just to get through this. Yeah, I did want to say that kind of at the top of this podcast. That these are I, I, You've heard this sentence a, a million times in the last week, but these are strange times. And I think that we're – I think one thing that I'm – we're all figuring this out as we go. Uh, no one has been in a situation like this before, and certainly the collective we as as – human society have not gone through this together before and we are all doing that now and i think we're all i think we're all discovering that this is hitting everybody in different ways and i think it's just important that we all kind of take care of each other in these moments and i don't just mean that from the obvious perspective of stop gathering in large places these videos i'm seeing of people at beaches in florida who just want to party like please stop doing that i don't just mean that that's the obvious take care of each other that's the obvious of like keeping people alive like i I would hope that that's the bare minimum of what people are willing to do i'm talking about taking care of each other uh from almost more of a mental perspective like i have found just with myself and my wife like there are moments where like the realness of the situation uh, hits her and hits her hard. And like, that's when it's, I feel like it's incumbent upon me to then kind of like help boost her in some way. And then there's moments where like, I'll be good, good, good. And then like the realness, you'll read something on Twitter and the realness hits you. And that's where like people who really know you and know your personality, like just be on the lookout for how your friends and family are acting just in the in the limited interaction you may have with them over the phone on FaceTime texting whatever and just try to recognize when when people you care about may be down and send them you know a funny Rex Chapman video or a podcast that you like or or a, a recommendation of a funny show on Netflix just we all need to help each other through this because it's not going to be easy and it's going to take a long time and you know relationships human interaction is important now more than ever and we just need to be careful and watch out for one another i think it's important that we all kind of keep that in mind as we go through this yeah and i think speaking to this country that we're broadcasting from we we talk a lot in this country uh, maybe me and you don't but a lot of people do uh, talk about patriotism and what it is to mean uh, what it means to be an american and now in the simplest way 
we can all look after each other. We don't have to go to war. We don't have to, you know, um, pledge allegiance to anything. We can look after each other in, in very simple ways. Like you said, by staying in contact with people, we've got more technology than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, by being responsible. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's lots of ways we can look after each other right now. And, um, and that's the stuff I'm like, I'm trying to focus on it. Honestly, it's a struggle, man. My girlfriend uh, will tell you she's in the apartment with me and we've been together now for, I don't know how long trapped in this, this apartment. <laughs> I say trapped. I'm, and it's not that I, you know, I, it's not that I don't love her or anything, but like I'm locked in my own head with this stuff. And I know. I know. This, this podcast today is like this beacon in the week. I mean, people are people have been really sweet on social media contacting us and saying, you know, someone said this morning, I can't remember who it was. They tweeted us and said, just to just to have a taste of normality here in your voices, guys, would be great. And I thought that's amazing. But I can't tell you what this is doing for me from a mental health perspective. I know Uh, it's it's crazy. We're all adjusting to a new normal, which kind of leads me to a couple observations that I've had over the course of this of since this crisis really began it's a, f- a few things first of all the one uh, i don't mean this is an offense to dentists but the one positive collateral damage here is that my dentist appointment was canceled today and for anyone who knows me i just hate the dentist because i had an awful experience as a child uh, the, my first dentist appointment i was beaten by a dentist and uh so i've, I've been scarred <laughs> since then <laughs> Uh, let's not go into this story because of the legal ramifications. No, I'm not mentioning any names, but it's a thing that happened. Uh, so my dentist appointment was canceled today and I kind of gave myself a silent. Oh yes. All right. Got out of that. Um, but a couple other things that I've noticed. So obviously we're not supposed to be shaking hands with anybody. Fine. Like that's easy enough to do. What I can't for the life of me understand is that so now people feel the need that because we're not allowed to shake hands, well, we have to do something. So let's bump elbows or kick feet. And I'm just looking at people saying, why can't we just say hi? Why does there have to be some physical interaction in some way to signify me seeing you? Just say, hey, what's up? Like, I don't get that. What is it within people that like you need to like bump elbows with another person like let's just say hi and look at each other uh there are no uh there's no rainbow there's no bright side to this horrendous pandemic but if there was to be one it's that andrew gundling and larry david will get their wish that there shall be no more social pleasantries no 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 no. like that don't be like that i'm look i'm a great handshaker i'm a big high fiver you know, when time, when in times of wellness, but like we're not in one of those times right now. So why does there have to still be something to replace physical contact? There, there doesn't need to. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't paint me as some kind of, you know, person who a, a per, someone extends their hand and I, I run to a corner. Like that's not, that's not factual at all. And then and, you hate human interaction. <laughs> you're, you're a liar and you paint this false image of me. And then the other thing, JJ, which really, I, I, like you talk about the mental adjustment of kind of collapsing to within this new normal. Um, it's funny how quickly your brain adapts to a new situation. For example, I'm sitting at my desk yesterday at work and I'm just going about my job and I'm just like kind of like lost within what I'm doing and within this new reality and I look up there's a TV screen right above my desk 
and on it, it, it's on SportsCenter, and you know how like when there's breaking news on the bottom line of SportsCenter, it flashes red. I see it flash red. I look up, and it's the announcement of the 2020 European Championships in Copa America have been canceled. And I kind of look at it, I think, oh, yeah, I mean, saw that coming. And then I just go back, put my head back down, and continue going about my work. And it was at about that point that six months ago me popped into my head and went, what the f***? <laughs> that just happened? Like the Euros and Copa America were just canceled and you're not even reacting? That's where we are. Like that's how crazy there's, – there's, we're in a place now where like there's nothing so crazy anymore that I could see that it will phase me. Like all of these things – the, the level of breaking news stories that have occurred in the last week are so beyond the realm of what we could comprehend even two weeks ago that nothing faces us anymore. It's insanity. Uh, Andrew, growing up, I've often said this on the podcast, growing up, I used to be able to live my life or parcel out the years of my life as I got older in terms of t- tournaments. So Euro 2000, you know, was my like second last year, my pen- penultimate year in high school. And, um, you know, uh, Euro 2004 was, the, you know, the year before I, f- I graduated out. So, you know, I've always been able, they, these tournaments have always been markers of, you know, certain moments yeah. in my life. The idea that a tournament is now canned and will be pushed back to the following year is absolutely mental. It's crazy. And just like you, when I saw it, I thought, well, that's the way it's got to be. Right. I, I, I can't believe the, the mental kind of adjustments we're, we're having to make. Um, and by the way, I, can, I, can I say something now? Um, you know, the moving of a major tournament is, is huge and a seismic thing for the sport. But there's some people on Twitter and they need to stop. We've been just one weekend without football. Just one weekend. I've seen someone write... Uh, they tweeted this, and, and, and this is one of those which gives me and you like a collective, a joint cringe. They wrote, my heart hurts for the sport I love. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, seriously. Like, I am I am in the midst of, you know, this terrible pandemic where I'm thinking about family and I'm thinking about people, you know, dying and, and, and all this – I can go a weekend without sport. Is it weird? Yeah. Is it a great distraction? Yeah, I get it. I, I totally do. But like, there's people who are, I, I almost feel like they're, they're emoting, deliberately emoting on Twitter, how much they, they miss sport in some kind of mad competition for who misses it the most. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, look, that's silliness, but that actually, that kind of brings us, that's a good segue, JJ, into sort of some of the stuff I wanted to talk about today. Um, which and I do promise later in the podcast we're going to introduce an idea for you guys that I think will in in coming weeks bring some like real needed fun uh, to this show in the in kind of the absence of actual games. Um, but we are going to talk um, about all of these various cancellations of of major competitions in the soccer universe and just like what it means and kind of throw our like half-baked ideas out there as to what they should do when play resumes but what you're talking about there with people really kind of like jonesing for soccer and missing it um i I have been thinking about that a little bit because i was thinking about something that i said on last week's podcast where i kind of 
I don't know. I still, I still feel this way, but I kind of felt bad afterwards where I almost felt like I was scolding people who were like upset about something as trivial as sports in a time where like lot, like a lot, a, a huge number of lives are at stake in an unprecedented situation. And I kind of felt a little bit bad after that because, um, like, Look, it's silly, but this is a thing that we like you and I we care so much about this that we've actually made it our lives and our jobs. Like sports do matter. And if and I do want to say that if you are somebody who's missing it or is are upset that like things aren't going to conclude the way you want it to, like I do think that's okay too. Tell me what you think about this cuz you're the right guy to talk to because you're a Liverpool fan. Um in 2008 I had never, as a Philadelphian, I was born in 1984. My last, the last championship the city of Philadelphia won was in 1983 with the Sixers. So I, I had not lived to see a Philadelphia title. Um, and the Phillies were in the World Series, and they had a three games to one lead and a best of seven. And they're leading in the fifth inning of of Game Five with a chance to win. And all of a sudden, the skies opened up, and it started to absolutely pour. Uh, and while that happened, the Tampa Bay Rays scored twice, tied the game, and then play was stopped. Uh, and there was all this talk about whether or not it was handled the right way. And I remember thinking, like, there were some Philadelphians that were mad that they allowed that baseball allowed the Rays to tie the game, and then they stopped it. And there were some fans thinking, like, no, like this game should have been halted when the skies opened up and it poured, and the Phillies were leading. And like it turned out, the game was delayed for two days, and finally they resumed the last three and a half innings on on a couple days later. And I remember thinking, for the fans out there of the Phillies that actually wanted to win a title in a rain shortened game, like I don't know, for me that just that would have felt empty in terms of like the way to get my first championship. And so I've been thinking about that. And sure enough, they resumed a few days later, and it was really kind of a cool finish, and they won anyway. Um, but I've been thinking about that for how a Liverpool fan must feel right now. Because this is a thing that Liverpool fans, many of whom like your age, who weren't really like you were, you may have been alive for their last league title, but like not not conscious of it really. Uh, so there's a huge generation, multiple generations even that haven't seen this before, and we know what it means to this club to to have domestic success. And I just. I'm wondering how Liverpool fans are kind of dealing with the idea of either A, in this year where they're appearing to be one of the greatest teams in the history of this league, they're not going to be crowned champions because the league is just going to be nullified, or B, they may be handed a title in a in a shortened season that's just clouded now with all this negativity in a season that won't kind of be remembered anymore for their success and I'm just I'm just sort of wondering how a Liverpool fan is is coping with that um I I would hate to speak for all Liverpool fans right now but I I would say the consensus is that most Liverpool fans hope that there is a chance that we get back to playing in May, May or, or June, that, that kind of that kind of region, they want the trophy won after a game, Andrew. Right. Um, they don't really want it lifted in a boardroom or handed it to, to us in a boardroom. That's right. what I would say. Um, John Aldridge is an ex-Liverpool player and he was at the club the last time we won one. And 
he's been talking about that, you know, oh, the Premier League, they just have to hand over the trophy now. That It's as simple as that. You know, they're 25 points clear or whatever it is, you know. But honestly, Liverpool fans would like this to be uh, played out on the field and finished on the field. And we're hoping that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> you know me. Sometimes I I lean negative. Uh, I'm I'm growing increasingly wary of the idea that this season is going to be able well, to resume. Well, here's here's one of the problems: the reaction of the British government to coronavirus is markedly different from many of the other countries, including my own country, the Republic of Ireland, which is trying to go into some kind of a, a shutdown south of the border, at least not in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. I mean, the schools are still open. It's insane. Um, and so that is going to have a real impact on when this this competition, when the Premier League, what happens to the Premier League this season? Um, people are still talking about, oh, well, you know, if we... We'll probably be able to go back playing at the end of May or June. You don't know that, and I don't know that. Mm -mm. And so, I mean, if it's a case that, look, the season is stopped and Liverpool are declared champions, you see, I don't, and honestly, from what I've read and and, and other fans that I spoke to, nobody really has an issue with saying, hey, look, if we stop the season now, we give Liverpool the title, that's fine. I mean, they don't really have an issue with that because because of how far ahead Liverpool have been. Mm-hmm. Um, the real problem, Andrew, is like the European places and relegation. That is still in absolute flux. Well, and, let's and what- let's ta- we'll get to that in one sec because I I do want to stay with the idea of Liverpool for one second, and then you're right. The relegation and European places is is the the area of total murkiness. Um, the, the one thing with the Liverpool thing that I wanted to mention. Like there was two people in general that I, I was I was reading about that I just I kind of want to say shame on them. Um, Karen Brady of uh, of West Ham, um, and also Tony Adams. So first with Brady, I mean, look, she's hugely biased, hugely biased in in this situation, calling for the season to be nullified. I mean, like, we can all, Karen, we can all see why you think that. Like, I mean, maybe she can say, like, no, 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 even if we were first in the the league, I would feel that the season should be nullified. But, like, I'm sorry, you're just not the right person to be voicing that opinion right now because it trivializes the entire situation. So, like, I mean, like, Karen Brady saying let's nullify the season. I feel like it's like a five-foot-five 220-pound kid in like a basketball tryout trying to convince the coach, no, 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 no more cuts. Let's just go with what we've got here. Like, like stop it. We, we see what's happening here. And with Tony Adams, um, he basically said that you cannot hand the trophy to Liverpool if the season is not completed. Like, he's going with the, the utmost literalness of the situation. And I understand that, but kind of with regards to that I would sort of say that like this whole thing is unprecedented so sometimes I kind of think that it's fair to meet unprecedented circumstances with unprecedented action and I really think that like we need to just apply common sense Liverpool are are the champions like they're going to win the league and and I think they kind of deserve to be held in that regard if a, if no game is ever played again from the season I still think that record books should reflect that the, that Liverpool were champions of England this season I think that's wrong for him to say season wasn't completed. No trophy can be handed out. I just we I think it's fair to apply common sense here. 
absolutely. And I, I struggle with this conversation. Um, you know the way on the podcast we I struggle so much with making predictions because of all the variables, and I I just can't trust myself. Look at this. I have no freaking clue what's going to happen here. None whatsoever. Yeah. And I may have to just get my head around the fact that Liverpool will be crowned champions and it won't be done on the pitch. It won't be done at Goodison Park. It won't be done at home to Crystal Palace. That That's all gone. The season's over now. And that's that. Uh, on Karen Brady as well, I think, I think it's worth noting Karen Brady's opinions uh, are paid for by the Sun newspaper. You know... That is an important thing to, to realize as well. Not only, not only was the self-interest coming from the fact that she is the CEO of a of a, a football club that would benefit greatly from the season being voided, she's also being paid by the Sun newspaper for these opinions. And I guarantee you that the the amount of clicks online that the Sun newspaper have got for this. Um, well, there we go. I, I don't think I need to say. Unfortunately, any more about it's, pro- that. it's probably worth what they paid for because they probably have gotten a ton of clicks. Yeah, which is anyway. But yeah, Karen Brady, that was that was self interested and, and pretty craven of her. Yeah, for me though, what you mentioned, we can talk about European places. Also, I'm not I'm not quite as worried about that. To me, the bigger thing is is what Karen Brady's talking about, and that's relegation. Just because the stakes for that are just so high. And it's so close right now. Um, and I feel like that more than anything uh, in this situation needs to be treated with like the utmost fairness. Because like the damage that can be caused to a club uh, who are sent down is unknown. And so like that's like the integrity of that to me matters almost more than even the title itself. Uh, so like I- I'm open to any and all ideas on how this one gets handled. And again, know. and again, if you're a West Ham United, considering the, their their history in issues of relegation, you know I'd be keeping my mouth shut. You you've got to remember what happened when they had two yeah. illegally registered players in Javier Mascherano and Carlos Tevez. Tevez scoring a goal at Old Trafford to win a game to keep them up, and that relegated who was it at the time? I think it was Charlton and Sheffield United. You know, so right, I mean, one of whom has never bounced back, and the other one only got back this year. Right. So if I'm if I'm West Ham United, I'm just like, you know, read the room, guys. Keep quiet. What do you think about uh, so all right, it's idea time. Like there are no we're in a safe space now, you and I. There are no bad ideas, okay? Don't make fun of any of these. What do you think about an idea of maybe playing next season with 23 EPL clubs? Don't send anyone down but still promote the top three, we'll say, from the championship? Well, I mean, that's been looked at, Andrew. That's really? A serious, that, that's a, that, apparently, I, I was reading on the, on the Athletic that um, that's one of the things under consideration. Um, but then, again, again uh, you'd be going back to the, the monster Premier League at the start uh, where, where, we have, where we have all those additional teams. Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, there's a good chance, as Ken Early pointed out on his podcast, that Leeds United will be the first team who get to defend their championship trophy. Oh, man. <laughs> like, you talk about like, this feeling of just being cursed. Oh, like, I mean, if you're a Leeds United fan right now, considering the, you know, the huge strides the club has made in the last two seasons under Bielsa, and, and, and considering the season they have had, uh, oh, my God. 
Oh, my God. And I, again, I feel trivial considering everything that's going on. Oh, look, but- we can... It, look, if you want, we can sit here and qualify every single sentence with that comment. Like, obviously, right. all of this is dumb, but people who are listening to this podcast right now obviously came here because they'd like soccer, right? So we have <laughs> right. we have to go under the assumption that the dumb things that we're saying do matter to <laughs> to some of the people listening. So, like, yes, all of this, we can I'll qualify the entire podcast. None of this matters in a time like this. But, like, people need something to, like, right. hold on to to keep them sane. Can I move this on a bit to the Champions League? Of course. And Mark Ogden did a piece on ESPN FC, which identifies a key problem. He sees that, uh, or he believes that the domestic seasons can be figured out, but the Champions League and Europa League, uh, rescheduling that could prove impossible. And one of the points he, he, he brings up, and this is hugely complicated and fraught, and I have no answer, so don't even ask me. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, he makes the point that a UEFA source told ESPN that an obvious issue will be travel between countries if or when football resumes, as every country in Europe is at a different stage of its own coronavirus crisis. Will one emerge before the other? And if so, will its citizens be able to travel to a nation that is still wrestling with the pandemic? If, for instance, Atletico Madrid are drawn to play against RB Leipzig, will their players be allowed into Germany without entering a period of self-isolation? And will they be able to return to Spain without once again entering quarantine. So as countries, as some countries maybe emerge out of this crisis before other countries do, like there's the huge disparity between what Britain is doing and what Ireland is doing or what Britain is doing and what France and Germany are doing. Right. Um, that's just going to cause just so many questions as to how this competition can go ahead. Right. I mean, there, there is a, there, as unpalatable as it is, there is a real chance way ahead, I think, of domestic competitions that the Champions League and Europa League will just be scrapped. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I've been I've been like racking my brain because I read that same Mark Ogden article and like, you know, he brings up a good point. He said it's mid-March uh, and Italy, France, Norway and Spain are in lockdown. The United Kingdom has also told its citizens to stay at home with those over 70 and other groups regarded as vulnerable urged to self-isolate for a period of 12 weeks from this weekend. So he said, if that advice holds and people are forced to stay home for 12 weeks, it'll be mid-June before it's deemed safe to return to something approaching normality. The issues facing UEFA are clear. UEFA may simply run out of time to get their club competitions up and running again. Never mind, find a way for them to reach a conclusion. But even if the crisis begins to ease, there are numerous other problems that must be resolved for the Champions League and Europa League to resume, which is exactly what you just said. The fact that these countries may not all emerge from this problem simultaneously. Like, Italy may be locked in this issue longer than England. Or, you know, like, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could say just play in empty stadiums. Uh, but, pl- like, look at Juventus. Blaise Matuidi was just the second Juventus player diagnosed with coronavirus. Like, players right, could right transmit at- it to each other. It's not just about the people in the stands. No, it's 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 the guys who are in close contact to each other, uh, guys who are running around, guys who are spitting on the field. You know, it's not just about the guys in the stands. And also, these people have to go back into their communities then after playing these game be- games behind closed doors. Right. I, I just... Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, I've been trying to think just like, okay, let's say, let's say the best case scenario happens and it does become playable again once we get to like, I mean, I don't know, late June or something like that. But like another one of the issues is, do you know what happens? I'm trying, let me see. I'm looking for the date here. Oh, here it is. You know what is due to begin, uh, JJ, on June 23rd? No. The 
2020-2021 Champions League. Like, oh, the, that, the, that's er, when, the, the early rounds. That's when qualifying begins on next year's Champions League. And we're talking about a situation with this quarantine, potentially where we'll still be in this year's round of 16 on June 23rd. So, like, do you have any insane ideas for this? They've been talking about one-leg ties. Um, they've been talking uh, about trying to condense the tournament to, like, uh, be played within the span of a couple, like, two weeks or, or so, where it's just like, like a mini tournament kind of unto itself. Yeah, the the mini tournament option seems like the. I hate I hate saying it. Well, I don't hate saying it. That could be incredibly fun. Yeah. Um, I also think that they they will probably, if the conditions are there for them to play, I think they'll probably scrap the home and away, and they will have the one leg, all the way, and. Yeah. There's a larger issue, though, you know, that we're not, that we're kind of skirting. By the way, that worked beautifully for MLS. Yeah, right. Uh, There's a larger issue as well about um, TV deals and the final. And, you know, the final is such, having been to one, the final is such a kind of a a fan based experience now, or they try to make it as much as they can, although the price gouging and, and, and everything else that goes on maybe would suggest that that's not actually the case. But would you want a champion, the spectacle of a Champions League final with no fans there? I mean, I was mentally prepared for March Madness to be played with no fans. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'll, I'll get on board with it, you know. Like, I think it could still be fun. You're right, it will be lacking something. Of course, but 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 that's another that's another element to all these things is is TV deals, um, you know. I suppose this is act of God kind of stuff. Oh, I'm yeah. not aware of the contracts and the legalities of everything, but I know you do know that like that is the really cynical, sad part that if or when we get out of all this, like the the money fight that's going to ensue over over like contracts and things like that and and like layoffs and all that like there's still an ugliness that's that's coming to this that I think people haven't started thinking about yet because we're rightfully so still like thinking about everyone's health but you know you know the power of money and like ugh I'm just like already dreading the court battles over all that kind of stuff yeah that is in the that's in the works though you yeah. know it um I've also been thinking about um, MLS because unlike these other competitions in Europe, MLS is just in its infancy. So I'm wondering, of all the leagues right now, this is probably the one where I think they're, they'll show the most willingness to simply just scrap it because no one is like truly – like it does, there's no issue of unfairness. Like if Liverpool were robbed of a title right now – even the biggest Liverpool hater could look at that and say, oh, that's unfair because that team should have won a title. We're not there yet in MLS. But I have been thinking of just different ways. If they wanted to do something, like, I don't know, what if they just, like, what if these cancellations, they run all the way to, like, September, uh, you know, and they want to remain on an MLS calendar. They don't want to switch over for a year to play on, like, the European calendar. You know, I've, just, I've been wondering, like, could they just do some kind of thrown-together tournament where they just kind of like ranked everyone in MLS from what they were last year and just had Again, a, a massive tournament. Like the top three seeds from a year ago would have a bye, and then you could just like play it out and have like an end of the year kind of. 
I don't know if it'll ever be taken quite so seriously, but people just might be craving soccer action so much. I could see fan bases like going all in on just like a wild tournament to decide this year's champion. Again, Andrew, it's all about um, what point we get back to soccer at. What, at what point can we do that? And I'm and again, I'm going by the most uh, conservative or not conservative, but the most generous model. Say we get back to some kind of normality around June or July, just slash those games off. You know, there's only two games played in the league. And go with just what, like a uh, like a 20-game season? Yeah, something so, like yeah that. do that. Yeah. Like, seriously. And and I, I regularly said on the podcast, there's too many games in MLS anyway, because, um, <laughs> be, well, there's too many games because too many clubs get in. You know what I mean? There's so many games where you're like, ah, that doesn't really matter. We can afford to lose a few games because there's such a, a, a generous uh, entry format for the playoffs. Right. You're saying if they switch to like an NFL schedule, like it, the league would be fine. It will be fine. In fact, it would be, it would have a heck of a lot more urgency. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, because you'd have to, you, the margin for error would be much less. MLS is not, um, you know, I, I hate, I hate downplaying MLS's position, but because they've only got two games played, they are right. really not in the same kind of peril as other leagues. Definitely. A hundred percent true. Um, and then one other thing that I was thinking about too is the transfer window. Like, <laughs> what happens there? So I, I was reading uh, Tor Christian Carlson at ESPN, and he's basically writing that like this is going to be almost undoable uh, this transfer window simply because scouts cannot travel. Like you cannot go to see other players even. Uh, now, like, there's not even games happening for for anyone to see. But even once, like, games resume, presumably it will be in empty stadiums where no one will be allowed to travel. There will be, like, travel bans on countries. He said, um, we'll see clubs looking at signing – this is his prediction. We will see clubs looking at signing more players from their own domestic leagues rather than risking uh, forking out a fortune on a half-scouted foreign option. Uh, if so, it'll be fascinating to see the potential effect on transfer fees. It's likely that prices will inflate to reflect the restricted, lower-risk local market, not to mention clubs' reluctance to sell to domestic rivals. As for those clubs that rely on developing and selling players to survive, how will they manage with a potential worldwide market suddenly closed off? There are just, like, countless ripple effects from this that you, you, we've only begun to consider. Um, I, I think of advanced analytics and tape of players is now going to become huge. Not that it wasn't huge already, but I suppose that's all right saying that for like top level players playing in, in the top five leagues in Europe. But if you're looking for that kind of uh, emerging player, that N'Golo Kante, that uh, Riyad Mahrez from the second tier of the French leagues, you got to go and see him play. There's not going to be that huge amount of information on him. And if you can't go to see him play, then... You're going to have to go with what you know, and you're going to be trying to sign players who are already have a high profile, and that's going to cost more money. I think they have to just rely on like FIFA. Like I remember, um, I'm trying to remember now. Remember uh, Florent? Was it Florent Cinema Pongo? Like I remember yeah. in in FIFA, he was sensational for whatever reason, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy him for Spurs. In my uh, in my career mode, and he was he was phenomenal. I think he led my my team in scoring. I think they'll just have to go with like relying on video game uh, analytics. 
for there was always a championship manager which by the way we are going to see such a revival of championship manager that is going to be amazing in fact i'm going to try and get my hands on championship manager 2000 and uh, what was my favorite year 2000 2001 uh but on championship manager there was always a player that was just you know in real life like irrationally good irrationally good right um so this you care about but you were too good to stay in our fantasy soccer league yeah championship manager took up let me tell you something i was in college when championship manager had its like heyday Mm -hmm. and there were guys who were absolutely addicted to it in a way that genuinely ate into their time and ate into their study time their social time i had a friend it's like Fortnite for soccer fans yeah, I had a friend. Should I name him? Ah, all right, I won't get. Ronnie was my friend, an absolute, a lovely fella. Um, but Ronnie was never on time for anything. Uh, and he'd say, "I'll meet you in the pub at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock would become nine thirty, whatever." And I was always wondering what was going on. And he goes, "Oh, I was just, uh, I was just having a shower, and then uh, just as I was drying off, I had a quick game of champ." And I'm like, "Are you serious?" And it was literally delaying him on everything. And, and and I wasn't that into it, but he got me into it. Mm-hmm. And I started playing it. And I watched his hours, hours upon hours of days just drifted away, gone, never to be found again. Yeah. And I had a, a friend of mine was, a guy I went to school with was at Sligo Rovers at the time. He spent most of his career at Sligo Rovers. And championship manager had Sligo Rovers players on it. So I tried to take Cardiff to the Premier League and I signed my friend. So nice. like it had all these little elements where you're like, oh, I wonder if I sign my friend, my, my real life friend for Cardiff and see, can he take me up? How'd it go? Uh, he was not actually that bad, mm-hmm. but... Um, but you failed miserably. No, I, sure. I lost You probably had job. relegated. I, I upset one of the strikers. Um, by transfer listing him because I wanted to get someone else in. That unsettled the team. The board sacked me. <laughs> but they sacked me when I was seventh or eighth in the league, which I thought was unfair. Well, uh, Just look, outside the playoff spots. Look, you told them you'd be getting them up. Yeah, well, apparently my... Um, and you angered my, the face of the team. And Andrew, I had an old school proper football man approach to championship manager. I would. So you would sit there staring at your computer just shouting, Oh, it's crap. Oh, it's bloody rubbish. Rubbish. Oh, yeah. I would put on Cluffy's green jumper and affect the mannerisms of Cluffy while shouting at a computer screen. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. And so, some days I'd be a little bit more big Ron Atkinson without the racism. <laughs> Thank you. That's an important, important qualifier. Piece yeah. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break. Um, but actually, before we do that, JJ, um, the world may be in the state that it is, but... <laughs> but business, oh, my God. In the midst of a pandemic, we're still recruiting. But business persists. Because when it comes to scoring great hires for your business, you may be up against a few obstacles, like an overwhelming amount of resumes. Too many applicants, but not enough of the right ones. Trouble spotting the most qualified candidates in a sea of possibilities. Coronavirus. That's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare, which is, oh my gosh, they're actually prophetic with that one. 
healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles, which is not a European word, for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, check out this stat. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. To try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside, O-F-F-S-I-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, I'll take a very quick break. When we come back, we've got a a little kind of like fun idea planned um, that involves all you guys out there listening. So we're going to introduce that. We've got some good uh, red cards, man of the match. Um, Lots more still to do. Don't go anywhere. Oh, oh! Back now on caught offside, uh, JJ. I um, woke up today as I as I do, and I leaned over and grabbed my phone and went on Twitter, and I uh, I saw a tweet about an event in soccer that occurred ten years ago today. Do you know what that was? I do know what it was. It was the Deuce versus the old lady. Oh, Clint Dempsey in the Europa League for Fulham, second leg, 82nd minute against Juventus. Fulham needing a goal to win, and then Clint. And Dempsey will try and chip one! Wonderful! Absolutely brilliant! A sensational goal from Clint Dempsey may well have knocked Juventus out! Now, I don't have any kind of list in front of me. For those who, who don't remember it quite so clearly, round of 16, little little Fulham in the Europa League against the Giants, Juventus. Uh, Fulham lost the first leg in Turin, 3-1. And then in the second leg, back at Craven Cottage, David Trezeguet scored in the second minute um, to put Juventus up 4-1 on aggregate. It looked like it was all but lost. But then this incredible fight back, which in, included two Zoltan Guerra goals, uh, and Fulham tied it on aggregate, at which point Clint Dempsey, who I think came off the bench that day as a sub, uh, in, the, in the 82nd minute, if you haven't seen it, I can't believe that an American soccer fan hasn't seen this goal, uh, but Dempsey from like like the eight, the corner of the 18-yard box with his back to goal pretty much gets it and just puts this chip in over the keeper, which goes in, sends the the place into an absolute frenzy and Fulham advanced uh, in that was the year that they went on to actually advance all the way to the final where they eventually lost. Um, JJ, I don't know if this is an exaggeration, so I may need your help here to kind of keep me in line. I don't have a list in front of me, but I think it might be the greatest club goal scored by an American in Europe ever. The greatest club goal scored by an American in Europe ever. I don't have a list in front of me either, and I'd be happy to hear from our listeners on this one. But in terms of the stakes, in terms of the opposition, in terms of the comeback, in terms of the import, in terms of what Fulham did that season, I'm going to go with that. And also, the execution. Yeah, yeah. He has the slightest look at where the goalkeeper is. Not Buffon, by the way. And he just dinks it up over him. It's a wonderful goal. 
It's an absolutely brilliant goal. Yeah, I was reading. And, and, and Roy Hodgson, sorry to cut across, yeah, yeah. Roy, Roy Hodgson's response to it is is just amazing. If you if you watch the, the video footage, he, he, he turns away almost in disbelief, kind of shaking his head. He can't believe what he's just seen. Yeah, I have some quotes here because I, I went, when I saw that, and I just like needed something good in life. So I was like, oh, this just like, this fits the bill perfectly. I love you, Dempsey. Just like seeing that this morning. So I went deep on it and was like reading old articles about that game. Um, and some of the quotes, uh, like you mentioned Roy Hodgson, um, he, he said afterwards, I'm on top of the world. I don't know if it's the biggest night in the club's history, but it must come close. Um, he And he went on and on. But I thought Dempsey's quote afterwards was really cool. It's just like, it's so Clint. He said, um, I just thought, what the heck? And I tried to put it in the far post, and it went in. Nine times out of ten, you won't make it, but sometimes you've got to take a risk. It's great. We showed a lot of heart and character to fight back, but we're into the next round. Just like such a Clint thing. Just like the casual, like, you know, what the heck? I'm just going to try this. And, like, confidence. I think I can do it. Like, <laughs> God, I love him. I love yeah, him. It- his celebration was awesome as well. It goes around the back yeah. of the goal, kind of gets into the fans. And the atmosphere there is amazing. And that's one of the, again, one of the benefits of the older grounds. That crowd was right in on top. Uh, it's, it still is a Craven Cottage. It's right in on top of the field. And that makes such a difference on a night like that. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, by, so, the way, by the way, can yeah. I just say this? That people are sending us little tasty nuggets because... Right now, football is in, in stasis. Nothing's happening. And, and so lots of these websites are pulling up all kind of little bits of, of a footballing uh, kind of curiosity from, from the past. And Nighthawk1996 on Instagram sent this to me. And it's something I had forgotten about. And there's an American angle to it as well. It's that time in 2005 that Manchester City manager Stuart Pearce, needing a win, sent goalkeeper David James up front for the final minutes of a game. Making a change now, and how about this? Claudio Reyna is going off. Nicky Weaver is going in goal. And now David James adds his considerable physical presence to the Manchester City attack. What a sight. It's one of the most ridiculous things i've ever seen um and if you watch it it's on youtube i'll post the video later if you watch it it, because whoever posted it broke up all david james's contributions uh, when he went up front literally it's david james trying to get a shot off and volleying defenders up in the air it's unbelievable it's and, and and andrew manchester city so manchester city are going for like the european spots and they had uh, a striker on the bench, John Mackin, who had a you know a long career at that point behind him. Mm-hmm. And instead, you want to see Claudio Reyna's face as he's been substituted. It's it, he's like total disbelief. Yeah. Mickey Weaver goes on for him. David James goes up front, and you know we look at Man City now, and it, it's hard to imagine such. Tom Foolery went on at the club when you consider that. Like, why would you think this is going to help your team score a goal? Well, he's so big. So I guess there's just an but idea that's, of like... That's just, that's just nonsense. That's just nonsense, though. He's big. I mean, he literally did nothing except just 
kick people for about 10, 15 minutes. I mean, if he, I don't know, if he could have risen above and gotten his head on one, who knows? Claudio Reyna, who could take free kicks, yeah. who was creative, who could set people up. Why wouldn't you bring on, like, John Mackin for someone else? An actual striker and leave Claudio Reyna on the field. It's utterly bizarre what Stuart Pearce did. And it's a good job that he isn't, uh, you know, one of, uh, well, he's actually still very much involved in coaching in the English FA. So, but, uh, incredible moment. Absolutely crazy. But my main point about this is keep sending us this stuff because these tasty nuggets shall help us endure this period without soccer. So kind of along those lines, you had an idea that we wanted to introduce for people that could potentially help us get through the next, I don't know, few months or so um, without having actual soccer to talk about. Um, we've been thinking of having essentially fake emergency podcasts. We would like you guys out there to submit through us, either through Twitter or email or Instagram, wherever, um, some of your favorite games from the past. Hopefully games of like of real note and, and like significance. Um, I think that'll be more fun for everyone rather than if you just choose like some kind of random game that you personally cared about. But su- submit these with us and uh, like near the ends of the podcasts that we do in the coming weeks, we will conduct essentially a fake emergency podcast as though that game had just ended and we will kind of go back and sort of relive it through the lens of if we were doing an emergency podcast at that time after that game. Well, that's not strictly true, Andrew. Mm. I actually spent the weekend creating an alternative reality oh. where, where Caught Offside has existed or does exist in previous decades. Like a time machine? Like a, some, some sort of Stewie Griffin invention? Kind of. I kind of did a Westworld on it. So this is a, this is a world that exists parallel to this uh, universe, but we actually existed before 2014 when we actually started. Wow. So, so, so it's, you say fake. I mean, I've literally done Westworld for Caught Offside, but without sexy robots. Because if we've learned anything from Westworld... Don't make your robot sexy. It's going to end in bloodshed. <laughs> I've never seen that show. Um, it's confusing. Okay. But I'm I'm pursuing it uh, right to the very end. I will not stop watching it until this thing is over. And no doubt the sexy robots have uh, wreaked their havoc on, tw- on the world in 2054. What a weird concept. Sexy robots? Like, I no, I, I just thought about it. it a lot of them are sexy. Too many of them are sexy. The the ratio is it's too high. <laughs> well, so there you go. So yeah, start start uh, submitting them to us. However you uh, whichever method you choose, Twitter, Instagram, email um, at uh, co soccer pod on Twitter at caught offside pod at, or at gmail dot com. And um, what is it caught offside ESPN on Instagram? Caught offside ESPN on Instagram. And again, just to reiterate reiterate what Andrew said, do not. I repeat, do not send me. RSL versus Sporting KC in like a random game from 2012. Right. Because we're not doing it. Okay. We want a moment that would have required, a, sorry, a game that would have required an emergency. Yeah. Call. Not not to submit them for you, but like I look forward to getting into this uh, Westworld Stewie Griffin time machine and going back to 2010, the moments after Landon Donovan scored against Algeria. You know, the the U.S. win against Spain in the Confederations Cup. 
know, some of you know, I'm sure you would love somebody to submit Liverpool, AC Milan, Champions League final. Like these are sorts some of the things that that we're talking about here. So I think that could be fun. I think it could be a nice welcome distraction and uh, sort of a fun way to kind of look back on some of these like real games of of note from over the years. I so also spend a it. lot. I also spent a lot of money at Lowe's building this uh, building this time machine. Really, Lowe's Lowe's had yeah. the parts for this. Well, they no. Well, the flux capacitor I got somewhere else, but I'd rather not talk about that. There's a federal investigation. Mm. I know nothing. I know nothing. Hey, let's uh, let's do this now. Red card. Would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, this is more of a, a catch-up red card. Uh, so since we last spoke. On this wonderful podcast, Andrew, uh, Carlos Cordero has resigned as U.S. soccer president um, after the release of those filings from USSF lawyers, which stated that the women's team should not be paid the same as men as they have less skill, ability and responsibility as their male counterparts. Cordero apologized for the legal statements, calling them unacceptable and inexcusable in his uh, resignation letter, which he posted on Twitter. So now... In the midst of this mess, Vice President Cindy Parlow-Cohn ascends to the top seat. And as Grant Wall points out on Sports Illustrated, she has a massive task. Um, I'm reading from his piece from a few days ago. Parlow-Cohn's challenge over the next year will be immense. She has to resolve multiple lawsuits, mend relationships, and restore faith with the U.S. Women's National Team, fan sponsors, and Federation members. She has to help guide a gutted organization through a complete reconstruction, despite having bylaws that make it vulnerable. And she has to do it knowing that there will be an election for president and vice president next February to see who will finish out the term to which Cordero was elected, and another one in 2022. Um, this, This mess... I that there was a sense of, of closure after a fairly divisive, divisive and rancorous uh, election in 2018 for, uh, for U.S. soccer's top job um, in the wake of what happened in Trinidad and Tobago. I, I felt there was a sense amongst a lot of people who thought, okay, well, now we've got a guy in place. Is he what everybody wanted? No. Has he a whiff, at least, of establishment soccer about him? Yes. But at least we can kind of move forward. And now we're back in this kind of position of total flux and look i don't know much about cindy parlow cohen but i I can tell you she was a member of the board that you know allowed their lawyers to go ahead with this kind of line of argument which has caused carlos cordero to resign i mean there's there's more carlos cordero had to go but i feel as if there's another a number of people who could also have you know reconsidered their positions in u.s soccer and like I mean, the oversight on this issue. Now, Parlo Cohen has disavowed that line of strategy by the USSF lawyers. But, I mean, how did this thing get forward in the first place? Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you... So when Cordero released the statement, he was very contrite and he was adamant that he was not aware of, like, the, the verbiage in the in the legal filing. Do you believe him? Like that that is just a thing that's hard for me to believe that he wouldn't have ha- at some point had a chance to kind of like I- I- like give his input on something like that like it's just hard i don't know he's the president like it's hard for me to envision that that is a thing that wouldn't have at any point gone before his eyes well if he wasn't aware and this didn't come in front of him and he didn't 
have a strategy conversation with his count with the USSF's uh, legal counsel, then he's not doing his job correctly and should have resigned based on that alone. I mean, I, I, I think it stretches credibility that so many people are, I say so many people, we don't really know, but that the, the well, let's just deal with Cordero and what he knew that he didn't know that this strategy was being used by his, his legal team. I'm, I, I kind of agree with you there, Andrew. How is that possible? You know, the legal team, and I'm not, I'm not this is not me coming down on their side. Uh, the U.S. women should win this fight, and I think most – I do believe that most people are believe uh, believe that. But let's say you are one of the guys on this legal team who's going against them. I almost – what are they supposed to say? Like, they have to grasp at, at straws. Like, I don't feel like they have really a fair, coherent argument. So I, I almost feel like any argument that's laid out to the contrary is going to come across – as offensive, like okay, so they're going to get rid of this argument, this road that they were going down. Um, what's the new avenue that they can go down that won't also be deemed offensive? I, I, don't, agree, I don't know. I, what, I don't know where's, what they're supposed to do. Where's the Where's the wiggle room on this? Where What's the next What's the next thing they go to if they don't use that? Yeah, um, <laughs> which is why I feel like the the U.S. I feel like when you're in that place um, where it feels like any argument you can mount is just one that will is offensive to people. I kind of feel like that's maybe a, at least a small sign that you might not be on the right side here. Maybe in in maybe they just told the truth. Maybe they just what was revealed to us from those filings was what exactly what the top people or many people at the top of U.S. soccer think that what the U.S. women do is not as important, is not as skilled, and is not as. Uh, yeah, important yeah. Or, sk- or skilled. I think it was as, w- as what the men do. Maybe this was a, reve- a, a revealing moment. Yeah. And, if they th- and if they think that, if they think that, they should not be in the positions they are in. And I'd like people who are who are talking about this uh, on Twitter and who are you know you know they they reply to us who have a contrary view about equal pay. I think they should just realize that. Um, this is about structural inequalities as much as, as anything. I mean, this may be a top-down approach, but it starts from the bottom too. And, and, and when we talk about equal pay at the top and we talk about equality at the bottom of U.S. soccer, it means that the, the, the uh, opportunities that a boy and a girl get to pursue their soccer dream are the same are funded the same and are given the same resources. That's it in its most simplistic way. And if you don't believe that, then you should not be in a key stakeholder position as a guardian of the game working for U.S. soccer. Yeah, I was thinking about something. I think it was you that brought it up uh, on last week's podcast, the comparison with tennis, yeah. with women's tennis. And so – I couldn't get that thought out of my head because I kept thinking, you know what, you're right. Like women's tennis, men's tennis are viewed on an equal plane. But I just wanted to make sure that that was the case financially. So I just went back and I looked at last year's Wimbledon. And yes, in fact, the prize money for the men's champion and the women's champion is identical all the way down through singles, doubles, uh, men and the, the male winner, the female winner, they get the same exact prize money for competing. So you know, I do think obviously it's not an exact like for like comparison, but you know if 
it does show that like this is not unprecedented. The idea that a woman should in sports should earn the same of what a, a man earns. Right. And, um, you know, again, uh, talking about structural inequalities, women have operated for years on the back foot. And then when people advance the idea, well, they don't bring in as much revenue. It's because the structures aren't there to allow them to do that. Mm. It's not the women's fault that FIFA gives out different, different amounts of prize money and uh, has a different pay structure and a different revenue model for its women's game than it has for its men's. That is not the responsibility of any member of the U.S. women's national team. They operate within this restricted system. And all I am saying is that there should be equal pay for men and women at the top of our sport. And at the bottom, there should be equal opportunity and equal resource put into both the men's and women's game. That's what equality means. And that's the logical extrapolation of equal of the equal pay argument. I, I, and I, you know, I wonder, Andrew, because there's people who, who like, they're just so intransigent on this, on this issue. And they, I, I don't know really what their argument is or what they're, why they don't want to see this kind of equality in our game. I mean, why? What skin off your nose is it? <laughs> I know, if U.S. So, soccer plays pays men and women equally. You're right. It is like a weird stance to be so yeah. anti. Why is this the soccer hill you're going to die? Yeah. No. You're, you're not. not. You're not paying it. It's not coming out of your pocket. Yeah. Jesus. Um, yeah. Let's see. My red card, JJ. I went with Mason Mount. Many of you have probably seen this by now. Um, his teammate, Callum Hudson-Odoi, tested positive for coronavirus last week. Uh, the team, Chelsea, had been ordered to remain under quarantine. However, uh, Mount and West Ham's Declan Rice were seen playing football in a park in London over the weekend. little five aside. For what it's worth, I should point out that uh, Rice and West Ham are not currently under any such quarantine order. Um, Mount, however, with Chelsea having uh, a player in Hudson-Odoi, who tested positive. He was under a quarantine order. Uh, the club was not happy. Uh, Mount apparently called the higher-ups at Chelsea to apologize for it. Now, here's the thing for me that I worry about when I see a story like this. So, Mason Mount, this happened on Sunday. So, Mason Mount is doing this, breaking quarantine, within the first few days of the quarantine. Like, <laughs> I was trying to think, what is that the equivalent of like what if like jj you and i we went for a walk we're hiking we're in the woods let's say we get lost and within the first 15 minutes of being lost we look at each other and say well i guess one of us is going to have to eat the other one like that's where we're at in this the quarantine is only a few days old and you're already so antsy like you have to break it this early on in the process this may be months like we don't know how long this is going to be you already can't be in your house without feeling a need to go outside. We're just days in. This is not going to be easy. And I, I don't know if people really understand that just yet. Um, this is going to take sacrifice. You are going to be inconvenienced. Um, but just like think of the varying degrees of sacrifices that there are. And this is something I've seen mentioned elsewhere. I'm not going to act like this is just my idea, but like sacrifice in like the early 1940s consisted of enlisting for your country to go and fight in a war. And essentially now, uh, with the exception of of our current servicemen and women who are fighting for this country, but like sacrifice in this situation in 2020, I mean, we're talking about you needing to sit on your couch and watch Netflix and play video games. Like there are worse sacrifices that could be made. I'm not saying that this is easy. And I know I'm kind of like 
breaking it down to its most trivial form. But, like, that's really all you need to be doing here. So guys like Mason Mount, like, you better start wrapping your mind around this. Like, if you can't make it a few days without feeling the need to break quarantine, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, get on board because this is going to be the new reality for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and also as a person with a big following and and whether he likes it or not, a public figure, younger people are going to see what you're doing and there's a chance that some of them at least will think, ah, oh, this is okay. Look, Mason Mount's out playing. I'll just do that. It's fine. Um, and, and also, uh, just to, to reference a tweet that I saw the other day, and I'm not going to say the guy's name because the guy got absolutely ratioed and quite rightly so, but he, he was complaining about you know, the, the college, the NCAA tournament, March Madness being being cancelled. Uh-huh. And he said, it's cancelled because of a virus. Imagine telling that to a D-Day veteran who stormed the beach at Normandy. Imagine telling him that we cancelled this great thing because of a virus. What a sad state of affairs. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically the tweet. Yeah, And it's just so friggin' stupid. It's like, hey, the reason that we cancelled the tournament is to keep the D-Day veteran alive, you utter moron. Like, people need to... It's not about you right now. It's about other people and the most vulnerable in our society. Yeah, would would somebody who fought in a war have a problem with that? That, I don't even really understand. No, because they understand sacrifice on a level beyond staying at home, watching Netflix, and playing with the cat. Caught offside's man of the match. Go ahead. Um, well, Andrew, this is a turn up for the books. Roman Abramovich is my man what of the, the match. What the hell? We yeah. really are living in strange times. This is from Jack de Manessas in the uh, UK Independent uh, in London. Roman Abramovich will pay for NH staff to stay at Chelsea's Millennium Hotel at Stamford Bridge for at least the next two months after personally taking this, the decision to help aid the coronavirus crisis. With doctors and nurses facing an unprecedented workload over the coming months due to the outbreak of COVID-19, the London-based Premier League club have moved to try and do what they can to help the situation. An idea first raised by Abramovich himself led to the club proposing an idea to the National Health Service to offer their staff free accommodation, which has been accepted. As a result, those working at NHS facilities in the northwest London area will be able to stay at the hotel free of charge to avoid long and disruptive commutes home with a provision to extend both the catchment area and the length of stay depending on how the crisis develops a Chelsea statement read Chelsea Football Club is joining the medical response to the coronavirus outbreak in London with the news that the National Health Service has accepted the club's offer to make the Millennium Hotel a Stamford Bridge available for NHS staff the initiative came from owner Roman Abramovich and after contact with the NHS was made by chairman Bruce Buck It was decided the best way Chelsea can assist the NHS is to provide accommodation for NHS staff. Mr. Abramovich will be covering the costs of providing the accommodation. Andrew, it's worth noting that Abramovich right now, because of his visa issues, can't even get into the UK at this Mm. moment. And yet he has the, I don't know, the... I mean, it's the right thing to do. If you've got the resources, you should be doing something like this. Yeah, but, but, he, but that's that's almost not fair to say because there's a lot of people that have the resources that aren't doing those things. So I think even if, like, yes, he can do it, but he should still be applauded for it. I think so, too. And, um, you know, as much as I bemoan the fact of that his entry to 
English soccer in the mid-2000s precipitated the collapse of the game in many regards, uh, certainly, certainly in terms of, of finances. Um, look, I've got, to, uh, I've got to park my grievances and uh, doff my hat to him because this is a very good thing to do and a, a thoughtful thing to do. That's very big of you. Uh, let's see. My man of the match, it's really kind of like a broad one. It's guys like Jamie Redknapp, uh, ex-EPL chief Brian Laws. Those are those are just a couple, kind of along the lines of what you were just saying. Um, both Redknapp and Laws have suggested in some form or another that the Premier League do what they can to financially help lower league clubs that are in grave danger of going out of business during this work stoppage. Uh, Redknapp appeared on Sky Sports' uh, The Debate saying, quote, so many smaller clubs could go out of business from this. They're going to need a bit of help. It wouldn't harm the Premier League clubs, given all the money the league creates, to agree to do something. Meanwhile, Laws was a little more specific. He called on all Premier League players to donate a month's wages to lower leagues. Um, the average EPL salary in 2019 is was uh, £3 million. Laws said the lower leagues, the football league, is where teams are dependent on supporters week in and week out to pay. That is where their income comes from. They don't have TV revenue like the Premier League has. The ramifications of that is that clubs will go bust before they even get to the point where they could actually finish the season. Um, This is me talking now. I don't want to make it sound like it isn't asking a lot for these guys to do those things. I don't care... Uh, you know who you are, what your month's wages are. Like a month's wage is no small thing to fork over, especially when some of these guys will be going down in relegation themselves. Um, you know, some of these guys provide for money for extended family. We don't know what everyone's circumstances are, but if everyone just came together in the Premier League and chipped in something, um, whatever but they Andrew, felt they Andrew, could Andrew, do, Andrew, like sorry, who knows how why far? Do, why it could doesn't go. the Premier League do it themselves? Well, hopefully they will too. All um, the owners. They should be doing this. Yeah, they have a, a moral and an ethical uh, responsibility to help the lower leagues. That is just a fact. Yeah, and like we're in a moment right now here in the U.S. where we're seeing like look at some of these guys in the NBA that have stepped up, like Steph Curry, Kevin Love, Zion Williamson. Like you know, these guys are, are forking over a lot of money to pay for a lot of the arena staff and employees who won't be working while this is all going on. People who really like the, these are people that desperately need that money like these we are seeing you know we've seen a little bit of the bad in humanity like some of the scenes that i've seen from like grocery stores of people just losing their minds like i think that's kind of a negative side of how people can behave in a time like this but we've also seen the good uh and you know that is people who are of some means doing what they can to help those who don't necessarily have what they have so hopefully we see more of that on the soccer front as well because lord knows those guys do have they have the means, and uh, hopefully they have the, the willingness to want to use that for good. Uh, that is about it. I'll tell you what, though. We do have one other thing, uh, an old staple of this show for people who um, may have been listeners way back in the day. We're going to bring something back, at least for today. I don't know if it's permanent, but we're going to bring something back that we used to do. Uh, we're going to do that in just a sec, but before we do that, J.J., there's business to attend to because hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter... 
for free. Our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. JJ, do you remember this? It's the Critics Corner with JJ Devaney. Wow. What a timely return for the Critics Corner. <laughs> wow. So, so, the, so the Critics Corner ran for about, I want to say, like two years, and then my self indulgence <laughs> killed it because you allowed me to introduce anything. It didn't have to be football related right. into the Critics Corner. Yeah, and you, and you abused I, it. I think my, uh, my, my, my nadir, my lowest point came when I started uh, pushing the virtues of Texas post-rock band, This Will Destroy yeah. You. You lost the, the trust of the people, essentially, is what happened. I, I took it too far and we canned it. <laughs> but, but now it's back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here it is. So, what do you, so this, I'm assuming you have something. I have. It's a book. So some of the most interesting sports books, Andrew, are not about the winners in sport. They're the cautionary tales, the losers, the tales of great potential squandered, the journeymen. That's why this week's Critics Corner recommendation is Full Time, The Secret Life of Tony Cascarino by Paul Kimmage. Now, Mm. I may have mentioned this before, but this is the perfect time to read this perfectly sized autobiography. This is the tale of a journeyman footballer in his mid-30s trying to keep the show on the road for one more contract. After big money moves to Aston Villa and Celtic do not work out for Cascarino, the former Chelsea striker goes to France to try and extend a career that is rapidly running out of road. Changing a birth cert, dyeing your hair, whatever it takes for one more contract, one more chance. The book uh, peels away the idealized life of the professional footballer and lays bare the insecurities, struggles and fear at the heart of the game where time is the ultimate enemy. Cascarino is a man running away from Father Time, Andrew, but also from his own mistakes and demons that have impacted his life and the lives of those he loves. It's the cliched warts and all book, but it's really honest and really true. Like I said before, the book is the perfect length. It's not very long, but it's it's just a good size. It's easy to read. Paul Kimmage is excellent in the way he crafts this book together. And copies are available on Amazon right now for like $7. This was a multi-award-winning book in the UK and Ireland in, uh, I want to say 2010 or 2011. I cannot recommend this one more highly as a sports autobiography and as a football book. So that is full-time The Secret Life of Tony Cascarino by Paul Kimmage. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, man. People people are going to be home. They're under quarantine. They're looking for things to watch, to do, to read. So... I think this is. I think this is good. I think this is good. No, it, it's a good recommendation. I'll keep doing this, and I'll, I'll keep it. You know what? I'll keep it to soccer this time. I will not try and push uh, Texan post rock upon anybody. <laughs> wow. It's my promise to you. So your solemn bond. Well, hey, this was this was important. This was fun. This was a nice break from uh, all the craziness of current everyday life. Uh, we will continue to do this for as long as we're allowed to. Um, hopefully that is, you know, on a permanent basis. We'll uh, we'll crank these out one a week. Um, and hopefully we'll have some good news at some point to report as to when we'll start to see guys kicking a ball uh, in anger, as they say, once again. 
Um, but yeah, in the meantime, send us your requests of, of games from the past that you would like us to do emergency podcasts on, and we'll start doing those um, probably sometime, if not next week, the week after, or sometime very in the near future, because um, that should be fun. Hey, I hope you're well, man. I hope everybody out there is well. Like I said at the start of the show, everybody just take care of one another, because we're in one of those moments where we all need a little help from our friends. All right, man? All right, man. Wash your hands, everybody, please. Don't go near anybody unless you absolutely have to. Yes. Hey, to you I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 